welcome to the Vivacious Living Podcast for humans that want to fill every single day of the rest of their lives with as much energy, joy, and wonder as humanly possible. I'm your host, Selena, and let's get into the show. Let's roll. Hello. So do we call this the Health and Selena Podcast 1 or... Do we start counting from the first podcast that we did under a different name? Um, a Health and Selena rebrand. <laughs> I don't know about the numbers. <laughs> so Vivacious will definitely still be a thing. We're still going to be working towards hosting more retreats. We just decided to keep everything under the banner of Health and Selena it's easier for me to run one Instagram account and kind of keep everything in one place, easy to find and all of that. So this is now the Health and Selena and Jai podcast. <laughs> so our first one, we've done a chat about community. Um, got on Stacey and Carissa. I've known both of them for quite at some time now, more than five years each. Train them both as well. Yep, train them both. That's not how our relationship started. Carissa was a friend and then a housemate. Stacey was uh, someone I danced with and then a personal training client after that. But Stacey owns her own dance school as well as being a nurse predominantly in an aged care facility and Carissa is a swim instructor. So... They both work, obviously, in community settings where they're engaging with not only students but parents, seeing how a big business creates, uh, you know, students that love it and want to come back. Um, well, the difference between those that do or don't. Yeah. And then we also discuss, you know, them obviously coming to me, paying for personal training sessions versus, you know, what they would achieve or would probably not achieve if they were left to their own devices and tried to change by themselves and that there is an um, example of community even though it's, you know, maybe just me and them but now we have small groups so that Still makes Still accountability. It, yeah. Community providing accountability. And then recently we did the eight-week winter warmer program where there was seven people and even though some of them never even met each other, it was seven people that had set out to achieve particular goals. They were in it together, supporting each other. and Even then, though they had different goals to each other, yep. they still supported each other's goals. Yeah. And it did keep them more accountable, even though people were attempting to achieve different things, whether it was avoid processed foods or improve their two rep max weight back squats, um, rehab exercises for injuries. Yep. There was still that element of encouraging each other, motivating each other, yeah, and um, helping keeping each other on board as well. Mm. So, yeah, we discuss community in a lot of different aspects as it pertains to exercise, but also as it pertains to mental health and well being, development, lots of different stuff. Um, yeah. Let's get into it. Here we go. Ready? 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 All right. Welcome to the podcast, Stacey and Carissa. Thanks for coming on. Hello, hello. No problem. What have we been up to today? I wrestled with the dogs. Nice. (laughs) It's always fun. Yeah. Who who won? 
The dogs. <laughs> <laughs> was it two verse one? Or yeah. Absolutely. They always gang up on me. That's not a fair fight. No. <laughs> you wouldn't need two of Carissa's dogs to lose. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. Carissa has St. Bernard's. So two St. Bernard's. Big floppers. Big floppers. What have you been up to today? Um, I played with the dogs this morning and did some washing and then had a meeting at the pool to discuss next term. Oh, so getting ready. sounded like you said moshing. <laughs> moshing. <laughs> I did some washing. Did some washing. Um, yeah, just enjoying the sunshine. In your lounge room. <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with getting some big boogies out when you just want to like dance around a bit. Oh, yes, it's a beautiful day. So it is. Nice. Lots of fun. So good. Makes me happy. Um, So before we get into our conversation, I just wanted to touch on the pillars of health. There are five of them. Sleep, the mind, community, food and movement. Um, First of all, I want to ask you what you do. Let get everyone, tell everyone what you do for work Mm -hmm. and touch on what pillars your work entails. Um, obviously myself as a personal trainer, it's kind of all of them, but more so movement. So you can talk about how many of them are involved in your job, which one you think is the most important, but also which other ones also affect it. Um, (laughs) um, so Carissa, if you want to go first, tell us what you do and, uh, Yeah, so I'm a swim teacher. I specialize in teaching babies from three months old um, and also coach junior and senior squad as well, which is super exciting. Um, In regards to the pillars of health, um, I think the pillars obviously affect how people move in the water, but also learning how to be comfortable in the water um, comes into it as well. So in regards to the mind, community and movement, I think they're all kind of in it. Sleep obviously affects on whether babies are going to be good in the water or not. Um, and they definitely sleep afterwards, mm. which is very cool. Um, Probably but, yeah. a little bit outside your personal control, but <laughs> yeah. um, it definitely is outside my personal control. But in regards to the fact that they have moved, um, being in a hydro pool, those type of things, um, a lot of the parents of particularly little babies um, do say that they have nice big sleep on their swim days, which is good. Um, I think, yeah, movement's obviously a big one, being safe around water. Um, means that you can interact with your community a lot more. Um, I think in Australia, water is such a big thing for us in regards to pastimes, that being safe um, around the water and being able to um, connect with people in that way um, kind of breaks down that barrier in any way. Um, When it comes to the mind, for me, um, in my job, but also personally, swimming um, is like a meditation. Going off, concentrating on just doing laps or doing laps um, or uh, being moving in the water, um, it's quite therapeutic. Mm. Um, it calms my mind um, and I see that particularly in my older kids. Um, in my teens, they, they come and they switch off and they just, they kind of, they're just in the water for an hour and that's, that's all that matters for them. And I think it's a really good tool to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, and then obviously movement, keeping healthy is um, good. Yeah. 
Um, in regards to um, community a little bit more, so how many are in the squad when you're taking those sessions? Yeah, so um, the squad for the teenagers is up to eight. I've got anywhere between five and eight. I do have um, four teen girls in one of my senior squad classes that I teach on a Monday night. Um, And it's been really great to be able, I've obviously done a Bachelor of Youth work previously um, and bringing in some of those youth work skills, I think particularly for that class has been really great in the last couple of terms. they're learning about their bodies, they're learning about interacting with each other, they're learning about um, social skills. Um, so I am bringing, I guess, that sense of community. We do things together, um, we learn off each other and also just f- making sure it's a comfortable and safe space for them mm. um, so that if at any time they need to come up and chat to me about something that they can. Um, the babies and my primary age kids um, are up to, if the parents in the pool, up to six. Um, and we have some mums groups that actually come in. And so that sense of community and being able to be in the water um, with other mums, you can kind of see like if one's hesitant that they'll kind of be a little bit worried in the water um, and being around other people that they can connect in with um, and me being there to support them through that fear um, definitely makes a difference. Yeah, well, I can't personally, um, possibly understand what it would be like putting your baby in the water for the first time, not having kids myself, but I can imagine being anxious and having other people around you that aren't anxious or are more qualified would obviously definitely help there. With your squad um, kids, are they in it because of a skill level or an age? Uh, skill level. So we do all of our, with our older kids, we do all of our um levels of skill mm-hmm. to a degree if you're 16 or 17 obviously that does come into the fact like come into it um but most of the time it's out of skill yeah um so what that means is the kids are at a certain level which means that they're not going to feel like they are behind mm. um I do have a a little 11 year old girl who is tiny and beautiful and such an incredible swimmer. She is in that senior squad and I do have 14, 15, 16 year old boys. Some are a state or national level. Um, So she is a little bit obviously slower than them, but the way that she moves through the water is so graceful and so incredible. And so showing everyone that we don't necessarily need to be fast in the water mm. um, and building that level of community in regards to we all have strengths and weaknesses um, and we all do things differently, I think is really important for them to see that. Yeah. Um, how long do you know how long some of them have swum together for or does it change a lot because it's based on skill rather than age? Yeah, so um, some of the teen boys have probably been in there for at least the 18 months that I've been with the swim school um and i think a bit longer if they've been (laughs) big wiggle some of them go to school together so they do have that connection um but i've got four and five year olds um that are almost ready to graduate from the baby swim school um that have been swimming since they were four or five months old and their parents have gone through the program and they're now swimming by themselves with me yeah um but they've been there the whole time and you can see the connections that that makes um, and the social interactions that how positive that is um, for them now going into kinder or primary school. Um, they've at least had 
some little friends um, to take along the way, which yeah. is cute. Yeah, can you see them interacting with each other in the water, even at such a young age? Like, Yeah, yeah. yep. So um, it's actually younger than that. So I have some kids that have been um, with me since I started. So they were, they were 14 weeks old when they started. And um, they're now almost two. And they're talking and verbalizing, and we give high fives at the end of our class to to my to the teacher to myself. Uh, but now we've also started interacting with each other, and so they give each other high fives. So, um, and some of them get very upset if they can't go and give a high five to their friend. Um, so you see that that building of community and that fun. Like I have two little boys who refused to go under the water mm. six months ago. Um, and their dads have connected quite well um, in that, I guess, frustration or that angst of their child being so uncomfortable. Um, and now the boys have started to become friends and they're almost three actually. And they've started to bounce off each other. So if one does it, then the other one will do it. And then if one does it, then the other one will do it. So nice. you can see that that building of connection and community um, and how important it is when it comes to feeling comfortable and safe in a scary environment. Yeah. It's actually really cool because I will move on to Stacey now because um, she has a big role of community in her work as well. But it's really different because when you are in a pool, especially at such a young age, the parents are there. So it's not just the community community of the children but also the parents and then everyone all together as well um whether as Stacy who owns her own dance school you start a little bit older we don't have any 14 month year olds dancers um but generally you don't want the parents to be there Stacy would you like to tell everyone what you do um I as Selena said I've got a dance school and I teach all from like the ages of three all the way up to my oldest student who's 62. Um, but I also work as a nurse in aged care and um, day procedure and stuff. So yeah, it is in both of those roles, community is very important and the connections that you make with the people in those environments, you can really see how somebody can change and how it changes their life as well. Um, I had a student start with me last year, she was four. And when she started, she was pretty much nonverbal. She could maybe say one word, you couldn't hold a conversation. Her attention span was zero. Now she's five, she started prep. And she can have a full conversation with you. Her memory is better than some of my eight and nine year olds. So I can just see that since being in dancing, it has helped her develop greatly. And she's such a happy kid. Like mm. She's such a sweet kid and she just loves it. So that yeah. has really helped her grow and be able to move on and do stuff. Yeah. Um, do you want to maybe discuss how the other pillars of health are involved in your roles with either in dancing or in aged care probably? Um, I think aged care in particular would touch on all the pillars. Um, me doing night shift mostly, I try to focus on the sleep aspect. Not your own sleep. <laughs> Obviously not my own sleep. That suffers greatly. But the residents, so 
I personally, when I'm on a shift, I prefer the residents to sleep. The facility wants us to wake them up, check them, change their continence aids, but then they just get a restless night all night and their behaviors are incredible the next day. But when I've worked on a shift, I will let them sleep until 3 a.m. Then we do our checks and our round and quite often they will drift back off to sleep again and have a good, you know, six, seven hours sleep as opposed to being woken up every two or three hours. And it really differs in their mood and what they do the next day. Mm. Um, also, the community as well in the nursing home, you really see the residents that have family that come in and see them, how much better they are mentally, because it can be a very lonely place if mm. you don't have family that comes in and sees you or if you don't have any friendships within the residents at the facility. So that's a really important aspect and it is actually really sad when these residents don't have the connections and as a staff member you try to be there and spend time with them but you've got a lot of people to see and being help. the system yep. that it is you don't often get the time to do that mm. so it is very important because this is you know their last stop basically and mm. you want to make it happy and comfortable and safe for them so um out of interest, how many residents do you have in your facility? We're only a small facility. We've got 47. Yeah. Um, how many of them would you say are overweight? Um, I would say quite a few of them are. Yeah. I wonder whether that has, because obviously you have set meals, meal times yeah. for them. Yeah. If their sleep is really interrupted, like... Then also, how much activity do they do? Very, very minimal. Yeah. So if you're not doing very much movement, you don't need a lot of food. But if you aren't getting very good sleep, you often can feel really hungry, yeah. even though yeah. you don't necessarily need it. It's like the energy to stay awake rather yeah. than to actually move. Exactly. But they would all be healthier and feel better if they were not as overweight so it's like all these things are just like one into another yeah yeah um, i do find you know they have breakfast at 8 a.m then they have morning tea at 10 then they've got lunch at 12 then afternoon tea at 2 dinner at 5 supper at 7. yeah really that's so that's so many that, meals it's so it many is meals. so much considering the lack of activity that they do and then we have the issue that if a resident doesn't eat for some reason, we have to start charting exactly what they're eating and why they're not eating it. Whereas I feel they're getting fed all the time. They're not doing the activity. If they decide to miss lunch for one day, it's not such a big deal. Yeah. I mean, obviously you need to monitor it and make sure there's nothing else going on. Yeah. But yeah. I don't see it as a huge issue if they decide they don't want lunch on a particular day. Yeah. It, and as well, like, you know, we spend our whole lives deciding when we're hungry and then when we eat. Like, I don't eat at the same time every day. Um, when you're in school, obviously, you do because yeah. you've got 
recess lunch whatever yeah but then when you're an adult you eat when you're hungry you stop when you're full like if you don't feel like dinner you don't eat dinner like it's so simple and then you regress back into that primary school age of being told when to eat and yes. how much to eat and yes. I know do you think that many of them don't have the autonomy to actually know if they're hungry or not or do you think it's just a bit of another flaw in the system I think it is a flaw in the system and I think it just becomes like institutionalized and this is what they do this yeah. is your routine for the day mm. you wake up you eat you sit there watch tv you eat again and i feel like a lot of them are just counting down the hours mm. until their next time to eat yeah is meal time with other people as well or? um quite often most of the residents will come to the dining room mm. and they will socialize with each other in the dining room meal time could be a bit of a community aspect for them mm, which is, is probably a lot of what they look forward to more so than just the, the food, food. Yeah, yeah 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 um yeah so a lot of them will do that and then they'll be taken back to their rooms and watch tv mm. until the next meal time when they're back up in the dining room together yeah. and I know when my Uma went into respite last year, she was saying like, I think there was a little while she had a nice lady in her room that she got along with quite well. But a lot of the rest of the time, a lot of people just stayed in their room. And obviously that's a bit different. People are on different levels. There's some people that are not in a position to be leaving their room. But yeah, she commented on, I mean, she sits at home alone doing nothing normally. So it's more social than that. But she still was like, oh, you know, no one talks to me. There's not really that connection. Yeah. They try and organize all these events and bingos and all of that. But she was like, people, like they do movies and no one goes. I was like, yeah. it's really sad because there's actually the statistics say that like the main um, factor in your longevity is connection. community and yeah. connection and knowing yeah. your place in society. And if, if you don't have any of that, it's a very sad. Mm. Yeah, it is really difficult. Mm. Um, and I actually find it really depressing some days, like some of these residents, when they come in, you know, they're very lively or very feisty and how quickly they lose that. And I think it is because they lose an aspect of being able to make decisions for themselves. They lose their independence. Their mm. independence, yeah. yeah. Um, and even to a point where as staff, we choose what they wear for the day. Mm. We choose what time they get to have their shower. We choose, you know, when they get to go outside. And I find that really difficult, yeah. especially on night shift as well, you know, being told to get residents up at a certain time. I really struggle with that yeah. because why would I want to wake somebody up if they're just going to sit in a chair and watch TV? Yeah. It'd be better for them just to stay sleeping. Mm. It's so hard because there's obviously aspects of your role that have to get done, like showering people that can't shower themselves yes. and stuff like that. And I know when you work overnight, it's usually just you and one other. There's three of us on overnight. Um, usually a personal care worker, me as the enrolled nurse, and then an, a registered nurse. Yeah. But 47 people and only three of you, that's yep. a lot of work. So. Yeah. 
yeah, it's like I can see where they're coming from. It's like these X, Y, Z have to get done, but that's actually not the best way to care for these people. Such exactly. a flawed system. Exactly. It is. It's such a flawed system that really needs an overhaul. Mm. I'd love to keep going on the discussion of um, what you see the role of community playing in the mental health of your students, whether it's a swimming or dance teaching. Can you see when they come to swimming or when they come to dancing that they're happier, like maybe they walk in the door after school and you can see they're stressing with something and then after the swim session or the dance class they're feeling better. Like can any notice of those things about students and mental health and the role community has on that? Um, absolutely. Even when it gets to your adult students, you know, they might have had a long day at work and they're just really not feeling it. But by the time class has started, it's like everybody's forgotten about their problems of the day and they're just in the moment enjoying what they're doing and enjoying, you know, spending time with these people that have a shared interest. Yeah. So Yeah. I know for me personally growing up that I actually didn't realise this until maybe a couple of years ago, but I've danced since I was eight, so it's a long time, that dancing was my safe space. And when you're learning a new routine or a technique at swimming, you can't think about anything else because you just have to be so focused yeah. on that. It's a mindfulness exercise without even realising it. Yeah, um, I'm not sure like in regards to community or being around others, but in regards to mental health specifically and mindfulness for swimming, from a personal experience an indoor pool or water in general, but an indoor pool in particular was my safe space, particularly in my teen years. Going in, smelling the chlorine, being jumping into a pool and doing laps was where I switched off. And I think I mentioned that earlier, concentrating on my breathing. Mm. So I was doing breath work from 13 or 14 without even realizing it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's kind of where I come from as a teacher. Um, and what I try to instill, particularly in my my older kids, um, I don't always necessarily see it because I think it's such a personal thing. Like my coach wouldn't have been able to see that for me with everything that was going on in my life as a child and as a teenager, that that was my safe space. He would have just seen me as the happy kid that concentrates on what I'm doing in the water. Mm. And that's what I see. I see the kids that come in um, and I see them engaged or sometimes they're a little bit switched off and see what's going on, but um, they all try their best or like, I'm going to correct that, most of them <laughs> try their best. <laughs> there are some teenage boys that definitely give me a run for my money when it comes to being a smart ass or um, back chatting, but um, I think, yeah, it is one of those places and, and something that I strive for as a teacher is to create that safe space um particularly for the young girls that are 13 or 14 and just in that awkward space mm. of time but yeah the, the boys as well um they just seem to be a little bit funnier and not maybe take it as seriously yeah um but yeah it is it is really good um to see how it sets like breath work in particular Swimming is breath work, whether you realise it or not. Mm. Um, and I control that. I want you guys to do freestyle breathing every three strokes or breathing every six strokes or I want you to hold a handstand upside down 
for as long as you can. Like they're all things that we do and I do do actually breath work exercises with them. So I get them to stand out of the pool um, and we feel where our breath is, whether it's going to the back of our throat, um, up into the top of our mouth or going along our tongue Mm. Um, and then where it's going to in our body. Is it going into our chest? Is it going into our tummy? So I think that's something as I've learned more about breath work and mindfulness that I've started to implement into my squats. Um, and I, I have that started to see my kids take that on board and get curious about it, which is pretty cool. Nice. How important is the community you create to the success of your students' skill development? So, for example, I also teach dancing and I think that by creating an environment where we focus on strength training, being kind to each other and ourselves, that it allows the students the ability to be the best versions of themselves. I also give them homework um, and I leave that on them. I go, I'm not going to force you to do this, but your skills are going to be better if you do it and kind of give them, this is with my older students, I give them that autonomy to learn but each week they come back and they want to tell me whether they've done their homework or not and then if a lot of them are saying that they have then it means that other kids in the class also want to do that homework and it's it's um strength-based homework lunges push-ups etc no surprises there (laughs) um but the more that they do that and they want to do that the faster their skills will develop so chrissy you already mentioned you do breath work with your kids uh your students do you think that they do that at home? <laughs> do you think that it in, improves the <laughs> swimming ability? That's kind of where I'm getting at. What, yeah. what are you creating within that? Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, I'm actually going to take it back to the parents in the pool because I think this is where it's key. And, yes, I will chat about the, the older kids in, in a minute. But um, for me, this is actually – something that I tend to do with my parents and babies because when we have babies come in we um, have new a lot of the time it's new parents first-time parents and they're really awkward they're scared they don't know what's going on they're trying to figure their way out of how to parent Um, and then you throw water into that and it's just so much more challenging. So yeah, they get homework of like doing pause in the bath and being comfortable in water and you can tell the difference Mm. from the parents that do do it and the parents that don't. But what I do see is the comfortability that comes from doing it in a class setting. So when I've got five or six new mums and dads, um, or parents in general, and they start to see that someone's done their homework, done a lot of pause, and then their little one goes under the water, um, takes a really nice breath, comes up really relaxed in the water, and they're like, oh, oh, I should probably do my homework. I should probably start doing more of those pause and things like that. So I think um, when it comes to those skills and then being comfortable within water and then understanding the importance of it, Mm. it definitely comes from that yeah because one time a week is I, I assume that's how often the lessons are yeah, for them yeah it's not enough for no. a baby to feel safe in that environment so Correct. yeah that yeah. definitely makes sense and just being in that space where if something's gone wrong like because we do don't just talk about water we talk about other things that may affect on 
a child's experience in the water. So if they're starting to crawl or they're starting to walk, um, they're going to have a lot of falls. Mm. And then falling in water can be scary. So they can, it feels like they regress. And so we talk about a lot of things. We talk about breath control. We talk about falling. We talk about um, other experiences that come up like teething. When a baby's teething or they're not sleeping properly, um, they're going onto solid food, all of those type of things affect a child. They might be going through a leap um, and then it affects their experience in the water. And I've had parents be like, oh my God, like we've just had the worst week, like such and such is teething and we've been sick and they're not doing this, they're not sleeping properly and you can see it really struggling. And then they might be having that conversation with me and another parent turns around and goes, oh, same we had two hours sleep last night. I can't deal with this. Like this has been such a struggle. And to see that community come together as parents when they can feel so isolated, they might only do two things with other parents in a week. If they don't have a mum's group or they don't have family, coming in and seeing myself, the other teachers and the parents can actually be such a community-based um, positive experience for them. And I think it's so important. Nice. How about you, Stacey? Any thoughts on... Um, I think I can see it from both sides um, that that community factor can sometimes push a student to want to do better and want to improve, but also... I know we were talking about a particular student the other day that does want to improve and does really try, but also can get a little bit embarrassed because she doesn't want to look like she's better than anybody else if the other kids aren't trying as much as what she is. Mm. So I can see it can have positive and negative effects But I think it's just about making whatever the students are feel comfortable in whatever their choice is within that community. Yeah, I, I actually see that now too. You always hope that it's going to, the community will help the development, but you're right, sometimes it can hinder it as well. Yeah. Um, and if there are more students that have had a bad day and everyone's playing up and not paying attention, yeah. then... Unfortunately, it does bring everyone down rather than vice versa. Those things can definitely happen too. You just want to hope that there's more good weeks than bad. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I find that with my teenagers um, in the pool. If I've got two girls that are like best friends and if one, one actually does better by herself, um, and the other one does better when they're together because she kind of steps up to the mark. But the one that does better by herself, it's quite tricky because when I've got her there, I can kind of really hone in on her skills and I can see that she's excited and she's trying and everything, but she gets so distracted by her friend when her friend's there um, that she doesn't try as hard. And so it can be that like double-edged sword when it comes to community of like, if you don't nurture it the right way as a teacher, um, it can go down the path. And I think like even when as an ex-cheerleader, when I was doing cheerleading, like sometimes you'd have great classes and a great crew um, and everyone would be really wanting to work hard and be a team member. And then if some people were sick and, and 
it started to dissipate that that camaraderie really can can have a detrimental effect as well mm. what effect has the community you are in had on you personally so I know I lived teaching every week feeling quite inspired and just proud I think as well and it makes me want to do better as a teacher when I have those sessions where everyone is on everyone is trying everyone is just uh how do you do this and I want to learn that and asking really good questions and yeah it makes me want to make better dances and be like how can I help my students more what can I do to push them a little bit further, support them a little bit more and make them the best dancers that they can be. Same with the gym and the community I've created there. Like I love seeing people wanting to try hard and push themselves and try new things because it does push me as a trainer to keep learning and keep exploring. So yeah, have you felt any things like that in your community? How do you feel after work? <laughs> um. Yeah, I'd have to say I think my boss um, inspires me a lot. Um, he's been in the industry for 20 years plus um, and learning from him and his philosophies in, and the way he teaches swimming in such a holistic way, um, it's very different to mainstream swimming philosophies. Um, so... That has been a big thing for me. Um, I went down to Tasmania in April uh, with a broken ankle, but we got through and learnt from um, an ex-Olympic coach and Shane Gould, who's an ex-Olympic swimmer and world record holder. And I think learning from them and the community that they've built um, and the, the community of teachers around me um, – that's what inspires me to, to do better, um, to challenge myself, to learn how to teach in different ways, to learn how to communicate in different ways. Um, and then I think that also does flow on into my kids. If I've got kids that I don't feel like I'm connecting with or they've hit a bit of a barrier in regards to the way that they're swing and they're not improving, um, then that, that's something that challenges me to become a better teacher. Um, and if I'm doing the right thing um, and I see them succeed, then obviously, yeah, you definitely take that on board. Little presents and things like that are also give you good feels. <laughs> thank you cards and things like that. So, yeah, it is definitely a nice feeling to know you're making a difference. Nice. Sometimes when I finish at the nursing home, I feel very deflated because I feel like I haven't had enough of an impact on these residents' lives. But then on other days... When a resident just gives you a big hug and, you know, lets you see the vulnerability in them because they cry and they just feel comfortable to go to you, I feel proud in the job that I'm doing. Mm. Um, in respect to dancing, I feel proud with the community that I'm trying to build because dance growing up has always been like, one of those industries that if you didn't have the right look or the right technique or, you know, the perfect body, 
then you were just like an outcast and I don't want that. I want to build a community that is accepting of everybody and I feel like I'm on the path to doing that and I just want everybody to know that they can dance if that's what they want to do. You don't have to be able to do a million turns. You don't have to be able to kick your own head. But if you love it and have the passion for it, then that's all that really matters. Mm, you can dance if you want to. Exactly. You can leave your friends behind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your friends don't dance. They don't dance. <laughs> so we're going to move on now. So other than being amazing pillars in our community, working with children, Stacey and Chris are both uh, personal training clients of mine. So uh, Stacey, how long have we been training together? I, I want to say about five years. Yeah, I think it's been five years yeah. as well. I was really trying to track my brain back yeah. and I was like, it's been ages. And uh, Carissa and I started training together when we lived together back during COVID times. June 2020. <laughs> so I would love for you to discuss because both of you um, tr sometimes train alone outside mm. of our sessions Sometimes we've had one-on-one -on -one sessions. Sometimes we have group sessions. I would love for you to discuss for you personally the motivation that you feel for each of those different things. Which one do you prefer? Which one are you more excited to come to? Which type of session do you think you train harder in? Um, yeah. Um, let's go with that first. Um, I feel like for me, before starting to train with you, I was very inconsistent and I would always find any excuse under the sun to cancel a session or not go to the gym, you know, oh, I'm five minutes late. Oh, well, better not go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now since starting with you, I am very consistent and I actually get really anxious if I can't go to a session. <laughs> You're definitely my most reliable client. <laughs> um, so I think that in itself has really helped me. And it's not that I hate exercise. I do like it. I just need that motivation to go to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think the group sessions and the one-on-one -on -one sessions, I like them both for different reasons. Obviously, because I've been training for a long time, I am very strong now. So I find on my solo sessions, I can do a lot of the real heavy stuff that I really, really enjoy. But on the group sessions, I get to chat and, you know, talk to people that I usually wouldn't see. But also, I'm very competitive. <laughs> so I have even more of a drive to be better and work harder. So yeah. Nice. How about you, Carissa? Um, yeah, so I am very sporadic when it comes to my training. Um, as I mentioned, ex-cheerleader. So when I was cheerleading, I was training like twice a week, two and a half hours, and then would do conditioning on top of that. So as long as I'm accountable to someone else, then I'm usually all right. Um, before that I would still get in the pool, but it would maybe be like once a month or once every two weeks or something like that. Or I'd go through spurts where I'd do it for a few weeks and then go off and then come back. So once we started training together, cause we were training together one-on-one -on -one three times a week over lockdown, 
yay for living with a personal trainer. <laughs> um, How do you spend spare time in COVID? <laughs> and spare money. <laughs> um, give it to your housemate. No, um, so, yeah, I think it was good for me to have those one-on-one sessions to start off with because I hadn't done a lot of lifting uh, before. So, like, Selena saw me. I was so awkward. So, so awkward when it came to the movements. I didn't, like, completely understand them or feel comfortable. Still hate a kettlebell. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, I think it was really good for me. But then I think because of our relationship and being so close, the one-on-one sessions started to become more chats and catch-ups when we weren't living together anymore. Mm. So when we did live together, it was, like, focused. This is what we're doing for that hour. As we went our separate ways, I was like, I miss you. (laughs) So, um, yeah, they definitely become more of a chat session, which then meant that I was like slacking off. Like I was improving, but not to the capacity I could be. Um, and that's when we started to do the group sessions with Stacy, um, and a few others. And that has changed around, um, a bit over time. Um, but I, like Stacey, am mildly competitive. <laughs> what? Mildly. <laughs> we'll no. Mildly. <laughs> First um, time hearing of it. <laughs> I know, right? You wouldn't, wouldn't guess it at all. Um, this is heavy sarcasm for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, coming on board with the group sessions has been very beneficial for me because it's been able to give me a comparison that I didn't have before and like shout out to like Megan for instance who I get along with really well um enjoy our sessions together and miss her um but also quite similar um so I could kind of be like oh cool well if you're doing an extra one I'll do an extra one or I've done this like you've got to do it now so depending on like who was feeling better at the time in regards to how tired we were Mm. um or how motivated we were I felt like we bounced off each other and I think Stacey and I do that a bit as well it's just like oh well if you're going the heavy one I bet (laughs) um so yeah that does come into play but at the same time if we're doing stuff that doesn't really work for me then I can disengage Um, I noticed that probably was a stark contrast last session we did where there was a bunch of cardio involved, um, which for me, I was like, I swim a lot. I'm moving my body a lot. Yeah. I'm here for like probably different reasons. And it was one of the first times that I was like, maybe going back to doing an occasional one-on-one session just to kind of, um, get that, that personal time, maybe a good plan um but yeah otherwise I do love it as long as it you know suits me (laughs) (laughs) um Carissa is probably the most difficult client because of (laughs) our friendship and being so close I'll be like one more and she's just like no (laughs) okay do another chin up no I'm good yeah you're like I'm done how do I reply to that (laughs) everyone else is like okay I'll try Selena if we say so you're like no yeah. Which is why having the other people around is good because I'm like, ah, oh, damn it, I have to like be good for Selena because otherwise they won't be good for Selena and I can't impact her business and her relationships. So, yeah, that's good. If you had, uh, say you're, you're feeling unmotivated, you're at home on the couch, you've got, if it was either a one-on-one or a group, which one would you be more motivated to get up to get to come to? 
same. <laughs> I think it's the same for me um, because it's not necessarily the people, it's you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the same thing, like neither one. Like I'm motivated. Well, even when I'm not motivated, I'm like, fine, I'll go. Mainly because I don't want to be yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> Stacey, how dare you not come? A million burpees. No. You'd be like, go know where you live. Yeah. I'll come and get you. <laughs> yeah. I'll just come I'll over pick you with up. a whip. Like. <laughs> get up. <laughs> so recently we did an eight-week winter warmer. We did not call it a challenge. However, we all did set ourselves goals, myself included. Um it was good because it made our group even bigger. So when we're doing our training sessions, we usually have three or four people in them. But with the winter warmer, there was eight of us. And not that we all ever trained together, but we had a Facebook group chat and we did have a meet and greet before the challenge started that not everyone was able to come to, but it was still good for those people to put a face to the, the name. Um, so... How important did you find sharing your goals with others to help keep you on track and keep you accountable? Um, you maybe don't even have to discuss your specific goals here, but you know, even a lot of us had goals to drink more water and so there was or eat more vegetables. So there was a lot of chat about like sharing our meals or sharing if we were struggling. Did you find that that helped you, like seeing other people also struggling? Or I know even one time, Jen, maybe it was to you, but she was like, you can do this, you've got it or something like that, you know, to have it not come from me. Um, yeah, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. I, I found it really good um, to have, you know, you know that these other people, even if you don't know them very well, they've got your back. If you're having a really bad day, you could just type a message and people would be like, you can do it. And I'd be like, yes, yes, I can. And I know for me, like it wasn't my goal to eat better or anything. It was my goal to focus on my knee rehab. And I know in the past I have been terrible when it comes to rehab and mm. fixing injuries. I'm like, yeah, she'll be right. Do so. <laughs> but this time like I felt that I had not just one person but there were eight people or whatever holding me accountable to do my knee rehab and even though my knee's not back to where I wanted exactly I know it's a lot further along than it would have been if I had have just gone it alone yeah and you achieved your goal which was doing your rehab consistently yeah five times a week was it yeah yeah and it's now become a habit yeah. so Amazing. Smashed yes. it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I had a similar thing. Like, yes, one of mine was drinking more water, which definitely it became more conscious in my mind and even now is more conscious in my mind. So that habit has definitely changed. But I'd recently broken my ankle and so I had a rehab journey as well. Um, and I was coming back into training after you deserting me for six weeks going overseas <laughs> um, and having to then come back into training um off that so for me coming into the the winter warmer um I was nervous um I was nervous about where my body was going to be physically um and that played on my mental health as well so having other people come into that group with such a diverse range of goals um meant that 
I felt like it was okay to not be at the pinnacle of where I wanted to be. Mm. Um, like someone talking about how much um, junk food that they eat and wanting to cut that back. And I was just like, oh, that's not even on my radar. Like, yes, I have takeout or I have junk food, but like nutrition for me is generally living with you for so long <laughs> um, has kind of become a, um, a second nature thing. So I was able to acknowledge where I was, where I am and where I want to be. Yeah. And I think that that was really beneficial um, in that, that group chat. Mm. Um, and yeah, having other people other than yourself um, was also cool. Like, cause they don't know your backstory. They don't know the ins and outs of your life. They're just like, yeah, you can do it. And it's like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> little do you know I probably can't it's fine like, I, I, I appreciate the, the gesture um, just feeling the support behind you yeah. I probably can't but thank you. Yeah, like, I will probably fill off the bandwagon at some point but at least we're going to try yeah. Um, but yeah no it was nice and I think yeah sharing the, the food stuff was good um, it meant that I needed to uh I think that you were actually a bit of a inspiration food-wise for some of the other people because I found that there were a few people that were like, yep, I've been eating crap and I really need to step my game up. And then there were a few other people in the chat that were like, actually, I'm crushing my food. Here's a photo of what I eat. You know, yeah. here's, here's a suggestion. For, yeah. And it, it helped. Like where some people were striking, struggling was where other people were doing well and then it was a nice way for everyone to kind of, keep motivating each other so Um, what I was going to say was um what I found good was the simplified versions of things because I like overcomplicate things quite a lot um so my food is like okay I need to meal prep for this much and it needs to have heaps of ingredients and it needs to um do like x y and z and then I was like oh I can just have like some rice and broccoli with some soy sauce and some tofu and like some extra veggies maybe and that's okay yeah it's okay to have a quick meal yeah um and the positiveness of that of not over complicating it and then self-sabotaging mm. and i think that was one thing that i learned out of that group is that i don't need to be perfect i just need to be better than i was yesterday yeah mm. um, love that your, um intro or the meet and greet was incredible um I wasn't there, so I actually went back and watched it and I was pushing pause, I was taking notes. There was actually some really good information. I have to go back and like remember what I wrote down. But it was pretty much what you were talking about in regards to habits um, and replacement and um, also like you are your habits. So you have to like start acting like the person that you want to be to then become the person that to become that person that for me was very um considered um and now is a part of my formation of like my days and how i make up my days because it's a great place to point out that our next podcast episode will be about habits yeah (laughs) stay tuned for that one yeah so yeah that was i just wanted to to come back to that as a part of the winter warmer that that was specifically starting with that was really beneficial yeah nice We also did fitness testing at the beginning and the end of the challenge, which uh, the thing that I loved most about the the eight-week winter warm-up was that no one's goal was weight loss. I didn't – 
you know, that's not really the focus for me, for my clients anyway. Like we're training for our old old person bodies and we want longevity. We want fully functioning. So we don't have to end up in an aged care facility. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but that doesn't mean that most people, when they start a uh, health or fitness journey, weight loss is often the goal. Even if it eventually turns into something else like getting stronger or drinking more water, it often starts at that place, either weight loss or muscle gain, usually. They're the two that you see the most of. Um, So it was amazing without me saying, I don't want anyone to use weight loss as a goal. Literally everyone just was like, yeah, I just want to eat better. I want to, maybe I want to get stronger or maybe I want to drink more water. I want to have a better morning routine, but not one person said they wanted to lose weight. And that just lit me up with joy. So yeah, we had a a one-on-one session. Everyone spoke about their goals and how they were going to try and achieve them. And then we did our fitness and strength testing. And I allowed people to maybe set themselves a goal in relation to those that maybe they didn't think of beforehand. Um, So question one, how did you find that? And on top of that, did you think about anyone else within those strength and fitness goals or were you really just thinking about your own personal results? Um, Sometimes we do our exercise of the week, which can be a strength challenge, um, which wasn't exactly the same as the ones that we did for the winter warmer, but they were similar. We did a three rep max weight deadlift. Um, For the challenge, we did a trap deadlift. For our normal eight weeks, uh, for our normal exercise of the week, we do a barbell deadlift. Um, and we did a row as well, which in our exercise of the week, it's how far can you row in a minute? But for the winter warmer, we did how long does it take you to row 500 meters? So there still is that comparison because I write everyone's results up on the board. So yeah, within the, the winter warmer, were you thinking about other people and trying to beat other people or were you really just focusing on yourself? Um, and how did you find those in terms of setting goals for yourself? Um, (laughs) Some of the things I was super competitive against you in particular. <laughs> Do <the> same. <laughs> Wait, which ones were yours? Can I ask? The row. I'm like, I have to beat Selena's time. <laughs> how, how did you go? Well, the first one that we did, I de- did beat Selena's time. The second one, I did not. <laughs> but I beat my own time, yeah. which nice. was great. Yeah. That's like a, a, a little loss and a, and a big win to have yeah. beaten your original yeah. time. Yeah. All Stacey needs is a one-on-one coaching session with Jai. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Selena had the extra, <laughs> extra coaching in her corner. <laughs> Jai used to row in high school, so <laughs> he gave me a good technique pointers yeah. to help me progress quite a lot. <laughs> but also at the same time, like, there was one particular thing that I did not improve on at all. And previously I would have been really hard on myself and seen that as a failure. But now I'm like, well, I'm no worse off than I was before. <laughs> so I didn't really fail. It's, yeah. it's optimistic fine. Yeah. 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 Love it. Especially because uh, I think there was five fitness tests. We did deadlifts, squats, row, push-ups and pull-ups. 
Um, so if you improved on three and stayed the same on two, that's still a huge improvement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was just the one that yeah. I did not improve on. And yeah. I'm like, that's fine. Yeah. I'm better than fine. Better than fine. I'm like, I've got room for improvement. But like I would have seen that as a failure previously and I'm like, actually, it's not. Mm. I'm I'm going well. Nice. I think the psychology of it was interesting because I did my initial testing with group people around. Um, so my deadlift, for instance, was a PB um, but at a higher, like the trap was not flipped over so it was at a higher degree. Um, um, for anyone playing along at home, Carissa has quite good hip and ankle mobility. So it means that when she does her deadlift, she can do it down further. She can deadlift closer to the ground. So we did it a little higher so that she was able to lift more weight. Thank you for that explanation. <laughs> um, yeah, so things like the deadlift in a group setting, I like we got, I was coming off rehab um, and hadn't deadlifted a lot beforehand. So I was quite hesitant. Um, as to what I was going to do. Um, but in saying that, being around other people, my push-ups was like I had to go all out on my push-ups. Um, so I did. And then at the end, I did a – I was solo for our testing. Um, and I would gotten a lot of confidence back with my deadlift and my squat. Um, and I also um, – told Selena I didn't want to know what weight was on the bar. Um, so we went through that and I was I was concentrating completely on myself for those ones um, because it was just, yeah, me against that bar pretty much and figuring out what my body was going to be able to do. I didn't have to worry about failing or whether there was people watching me or comments about the way I looked or anything like that. It was just me in that bar. Um, so that was really good. But in saying that, when it comes to push-ups, <laughs> I definitely need other people around me because I'm like, ah, yeah, that's enough. Because um, it's just like, obviously, there's no weight involved. Um, I think since living with you, uh, chin-ups has, or pull-ups has been something that I've watched you challenge yourself with for so long and my curiosity of um, whether I would be able to do that as well. Yeah, I didn't think that I'd be able to do them. At the start of this year, my goal was to be able to do one by the end of this year um, and I'd also put in the goal of deadlifting 110% body weight. So at the end of this winter warmer, I got up to 150% body weight and I can now do a pull-up, which is exciting. It's very um, exciting. But it's also brought into consideration other goals. So for me, like as Selena is aware, um, it's a challenge for me to uh, maintain healthy body mass um, and that's something that I've struggled with my whole life um, and it also affects my mental health and my mental effect health effects on it so they kind of come hand in hand and I think like the question was in regards to who were you focusing on for me I was focusing on getting my body to be stronger 
um, and also making sure that I'm putting a lot of nutrients into my body to be able to um, do that successfully. Um, on the other hand, the fact that I then saw your post, Selena, about deadlifting and it was 140% body weight. <laughs> Definitely gave me a big like, oh yeah. Um, but then you absolutely smash me when it comes to squats. So yeah, it is fun. I do really enjoy it. Um, I think there's a few other people like um, Jess or Megan that I definitely bounce off in regards to when you're looking at the comparison side of things. Um, but at the same time, I think we're all individual and unique um, yeah. and we've all got our own things going on mentally and physically, yeah. whether it's rehab. Um, so, yeah, I think if it's a positive thing that it, and it encourages you to do better, then I think it's great. But I think if you're getting into a spiral about potentially not um, doing so great or getting down with that comparative that you, you've got to kind of turn that around and be like, hang on a minute, what's going on for me? What is different? Um, and, and really take that on, on board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, during the uh, winter warmer, there were two people that injured themselves. Mm. So, of course, they were not able to progress on all of the things. Whether you guys are the opposite end, you'd injured yourself prior and then were coming back from that. So there were some things, say, you were like the squat that you were yeah. able to improve on yeah. a lot. So, yeah, whilst it is nice to have that fun, competitive thing sometimes, it's also then important to be able to come away and be like, well... I didn't need to do better than them and my situation has changed. I didn't even need to do better than myself because, you know, I'm pregnant now and I wasn't before or I've hurt my hand now and it wasn't before or whatever it might be. Um, but that's that's my job to remind people because yes. some people come in and go, oh, I did so crap. I go, you didn't do crap. You did amazing. Like, um, yeah, and I think that... Uh, yeah, one person was like, oh, I only improved on the row by four seconds. <laughs> but they are unaware that a four-second improvement on a row is actually Huge. massive. Like, Massively, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's where, that's where my individual role comes in to help let everybody know that they are actually doing amazing. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on today. That is all of my questions in relation to community. It's been really good because I find that um, – I've been able to have good conversations with people around the other pillars, the mind, food, movement, but it, this is the first really great chat that I've been able to have about community and its role that it has on physical and mental health. Mm. Um, yeah. Is there any other things that you want to add in that you've thought of about either job or training with me or anything in relation to... I think um, the biggest thing for me is how much your environment impacts your mental health and your um, own habitual behaviour. So I think I noticed it over COVID because I obviously lived with yourself and Jai for almost a year and then I did the same with two other people and the dramatic difference in living in a positive, healthy, encouraging environment um, compared to a toxic depressive um environment that had conflict involved um we were the first one to see yeah <laughs> we were the positive one for um, anyone that couldn't see the gestures was a dramatic was a dramatic difference um so yeah for me i think community isn't just about 
external community like your swim teachers or your dance teachers, yes, that is definitely involved and people find that safe space in that. But if you can find your safe space in your smaller community, in your smaller community as well, I think that is just so essential to look at mm. being accountable with your partners, your immediate family, um, and also if you've got young children, being um, that positive um, involvement and Influence. Influence, sorry, um, on them as well. I think it's, uh, yeah, really important. Mm. Community does start in the home. Yes. I just think for me, when I first started training with you, I was a completely different person to what I am now. Like I was so insecure, so shy, and really did not like myself at all. And I think in the journey, I have learnt so much about myself and completely grown like I am so different now I'm still insecure at times but then I've learned I'm like that's okay mm. this is yeah. where my growth comes from totally and and learning and it's okay to fail like mm. I was always I'm gonna fail so I'm just not even gonna try yeah now I'm like it's okay because it's not a failure. It's It's where I'm learning and where I'm growing and where I'm developing from. So I think that's been really great for me on a personal journey to have that connection that, you know, helps to to push this development in myself. So giving yourself permission in life to to not be perfect yeah. and to have those failures and to learn is huge. And to like, not be so concerned about what other people think. 100%. That's mm. what I was going to say is the main difference that I notice in you is that you're actually able to set a boundary now and not feel like you need to please everyone and keep everybody yes, happy. It's exactly. so nice to see for you because you are such a generous person that you can get very swept up in pleasing everyone but now I think that you have put keeping yourself happy at the exactly. forefront and you seem much happier for it. So. it I've learned it's okay to say no. <laughs> if anything, it's even important to say no. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Great chat. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having me. Bye. See y'all. Bye. Just before we leave today, We would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional carers of the lands, waterways and skies, which we are able to live, learn and move on. We respect their elders, past, present and emerging, and the deep spiritual connection they have to our country.